For 25 years, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Hello and welcome back to Highway to Hoover, a production of SEC Extra at D1Baseball.com. I'm your host, Joe Healy, joined as always by my co-host, Mark Etheridge. Today, we are going to, because sadly, I keep clicking on the D1Baseball.com scoreboard and games just refuse to show up. So I guess we're just going to have to, you know, we've got summer ball and that's great. And I've done some Team USA stuff and, you know, I'll be at the Cape soon. That's all great, but I I don't know. I'm kind of jonesing for... Jones for the real thing. Uh, unfortunately, that is that is not going to happen. So Mark and I are going to, you know, kind of wade into the off season here. And but before we start to deal with the summer or look ahead, we're going to the next couple of weeks do some looking back. And today, what we're going to do is take the SEC East and going to talk about some overlooked storylines, um, some things that maybe we just you know didn't notice until the end of the season or didn't notice at all and that, that mm-hmm. are being called out. Um, so because there's just so much going on, even even Mark and I just covering this one conference, there's just there's all kinds of little things here that that probably went under yeah. underreported, if you will. So we're gonna poke at some of those here today. But first, before we do that, I have to let you know that this episode of Highway to Hoover and every episode of Highway to Hoover is brought to you by Brox Gap Brewing Company in Hoover, Alabama. Uh, thanks again to Brock's Gap for their sponsorship all season of this podcast and now into the into the offseason. Really enjoy our partnership with those guys over there. All right, Mark, um, let's talk about the SEC East. Yeah. And like I, like I mentioned up top, the, the goal here is to kind of shine a light on some storylines that, that for whatever reason just ended up kind of not getting the shine they should have, whether it's because mm-hmm. There was a lot of other stuff to talk about, and there's certainly teams here. Our, our first team we'll talk about today, Florida, obviously, you know, that there were a lot of things to look at with Florida, and, you know, uh-huh. so that almost makes the challenge a little bit harder. But, um, you know, with every team, though, I feel like there are little things that unless we were beat writers, and we're not, um, there are little things that are under the surface that, you know, we just kind of ignored, not by on purpose, but just kind of by being distracted by other things. And mm-hmm. so our, our goal today is to kind of dig some of those up and talk about some of those and, and use it as a way to, to start to put a bow on the, on the 2023 season. So uh, Mark, uh, unless you have a preamble and by all means, if you do go for it, uh, but otherwise mm-hmm. we will, we will get going. So what, what do you got? Um, Yeah. I mean, with Florida, I think my underrated story is is Jack Caglione, how effective he was as a slugger while showing horrible plate discipline. Okay. So it's really hard to do that, to hit what he hit, 33 home runs, and he walked 17 times all year, 5%. I mean, everyone's pitching carefully to him. Okay. 
nobody you watch batting practice you watch the prior games you realize okay this cat can smash it and so for him to be that successful from a power standpoint and and really just you know expand the zone and 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 not take walks i think that one it's very impressive that he was able to accomplish this but two as as he matures as a hitter and his plate discipline improves his pitch recognition improves what is this guy capable of because if if he's if he shrinks that zone, I know he's a big tall guy, but if he shrinks that zone, and and you got to come into him. How many is he going to hit next year if if he improves that? I mean, he could hit forty. Yeah, no, it's it's such a good point. Like I'd kind of forgotten about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, in in the spirit of the exercise we're doing here, I had forgotten about the fact that he you know just was so seldom walking. And yeah, I've seen a couple of the collegiate national team games here in the last last week or so, and. You know that the first game against Chinese Taipei, Chinese Taipei was was throwing like a, a low slot righty whose fastball was like eighty miles. He basically was a mm-hmm. Taiwanese version of Dalton Radans from Georgia, mm-hmm. basically. And you know he had a couple really tough at bats <laughs> because mm-hmm. he was just way out in front and he could have swung twice, you know, mm-hmm. before the ball got to the catcher's mitt. Um, and you know, and then even as the series went on, he was he was in a situation where I think for a while, and it may have changed. I didn't look at last night's box score, and I wasn't there. But um, his only hit was a home run at one point, which mm-hmm. seems like about right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, still some things to. And you know, of course, he's had a long season. I'm sure fatigue is yeah. part of it. Like you know, I don't. And I'm not reading too much into summer ball stats. It's not the point of what I'm saying here. It's just that that situation has bled over into the into summer ball is what I'm is what I'm saying there. So right. Definitely something to watch. Mine is 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 recent, and that's what Ty Evans did in the College World Series. Yeah. yeah. Um, Nuts. So five total home runs. Uh, that is a record for one hitter in the Men's College World Series. That is more than he had in the entire season leading up to the College World Series. Uh, he also hit the first Grand Slam in CWS Finals history and yeah. is the first Florida player to hit three home, three or more home runs in a single College World Series. Just historic. <laughs> Right. And to, to to push this forward, I think it does kind of change maybe the way you look at Ty Evans as a guy for next season oh, for sure. Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, because to be frank, I mean, he was a guy who was in, like when we were doing our preseason stuff, you know, they the Florida coaching staff, when they filled out their little survey for us, you know, put Ty Evans in as the starting right fielder. And he started there and struggled and he came out of the lineup and, and really wasn't getting a lot of run kind of the latter portion of the season. Um, and, you know, I think we were looking at a situation where if he if he's back with Florida next year, maybe they look at him as a role player, right? Um, and, or maybe at least on the outside looking in, the coaching staff probably evaluates it differently. But you and I would be talking about, mm-hmm. hey, like, are they going to bring yeah. Ty Floyd's back? To, or Ty Floyd, Ty Evans back? Is Ty Evans going to transfer? Um, yeah. Instead, now it's like, hey, is Ty Evans a breakout guy next year? Yeah. Right. Like certainly he's, he's shown us he's tools. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And Kevin O'Sullivan has been telling us that all year that, that he was going to have big moments. So um, just a heck of a run. And, and, you know, I think again, because obviously at that point of the season, we're more focused on the, the, the big prize, the, the championship trophy, but what he did in, in Omaha was incredibly impressive. And I think it makes it even more impressive that it's not like he had a three home run game, mm-hmm. right. That, that kind of skews it a little bit. I mean, he just, he, he was hot from, from pretty much start to finish. So really impressive run for, for Ty Evans there in Omaha. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, so we're doing this in order of the standings. So okay. next is, is, is Vanderbilt. 
Um, I will, I guess I'll go first on this one. Okay. Um, it's the season that Chris Maldonado had as a freshman. Um, he's kind of an interesting story in general, just because he wasn't going to go to Vanderbilt, even with the connection of his brother, having, having gone there, Nick Maldonado, he was set to go to Clemson and Monty Lee gets fired. They, they make a coaching change there. And suddenly instead of there, he's at Vanderbilt. And so not only that, but that, I mean, that's, makes it improbable enough that he ended up at, at Vanderbilt, but also he ended up being the team's leading hitter right. and really had more of an impact as a freshman than RJ Austin, who was kind of the flashier freshman, the guy who was more famous and, and RJ mm-hmm. Austin came on strong late was most outstanding player of the sec tournament. So, you know, he, he had nice moments and I think we're kind of seeing him grow up in front of our eyes here, but Maldonado really was the steadier guy all season and didn't even get a full seasons of at, at bats. I don't have their stat page pulled up in front of me, but I think he only played in like 42 or 43 games. So he, he wasn't in the lineup every day from the, from the jump, but he earned his way into it and, and just stuck there. And now again, keeping with the theme of Ty Evans, now you go into next year and it's like, you know, Chris Maldonado is mm-hmm. whether he's batting at the top of the lineup, middle of the lineup, he's, he's going to be a piece. Key build. Guy. Mm-hmm. Right. He's going to be a piece. You end up building a lineup around. Yeah, Mark, absolutely. Well, I, I'm going to go back to the to the stats pile again on this one. Um, Carter Holton, obviously, his loss late in the year, you know that that may be the difference in in Vandy making out of a regional or not. I mean, just to be honest with you, but but one of the interesting stat lines I saw on him, his he in he pitched 50, 50 and a third innings. Okay, he walked twenty four. Which is not 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 bad, but he hit twelve batters. If you're gonna, you know, you're almost you're hitting, which was way more than anybody else on the team. Uh, the next highest was nine, okay, and and at eight. So you, you showed pretty good control, right? But but man, are you pitching inside and you're fearless when you go in there because you're, you're certainly, um, you know. Uh, you know, plunking some guys. And I think that's the part of that may have been attributed to, you know, you know, had some health, health issues for a couple of games and started, you know, wasn't really himself. And, and, and some of that could have been the control problems, but I just, you know, that's kind of an interesting stat line guy who doesn't walk a ton of people, but, um, but, but hits that many, usually those, those kind of align, right. If you're going to hit a lot of people, you walk a lot of people and vice versa. And that that's not the case here. That is interesting. I, I hadn't really, and to be honest, <clears throat> excuse me, to be honest, I, I hadn't realized, I knew he was kind of banged up, but I hadn't realized that he had only started 11 games, um, mm-hmm. you know, in 50 and a third innings. So, mm-hmm. but he, you know, he's pitching for the collegiate national team right now. Yeah. Um, so like, I guess the concerns aren't that large with him or else he wouldn't be doing that. So um, interesting. Okay. So we move on down South Carolina, Mark, I will, I will let you uh, hit lead off on this one. What you got on the sure. box? Sure. Well, I'm going to start on the mound um, with, you know, with, with heading into the year, it was the, you know, the great pitching staff and we all kind of knew what to expect heading into the season, but it was James Hicks who, who really established himself. And I mean, he and Mahoney were the two best pitchers all year. And for, for Hicks to, he, you know, he appeared in 25 games. Okay. Started six of them and went eight and one with a, you know, three and a half ERA. Okay. Um, just to, and at the end of the year, I mean, he was, I mean, he started a lot of their key games down the stretch that, that got them 
um, you know, to, to really put a capper on their season. So, I, you know, he was not a guy that, you know, from my perspective, I was, I was really focused on as even at midseason. You know, he was just one of, one of a group. But boy, down the stretch, he was just what they needed and established himself as, as you know, arguably their best pitcher down the stretch. That's a good call. It's a little bit reminiscent of Evan Oshenbeck at Texas A&M. A little different because Hicks was a proven, more of a proven guy. Oshenbeck was mm-hmm. coming in as a, a junior college transfer that no one had expectations for. But <clears throat> a little bit similar in terms of by the time it was all said and done, he was he was vitally important. Um, I was going to talk about Cole Messina's year mm-hmm. um, offensively. He really turned into a guy that, um, you know, I, I thought – him being what he was, there were other factors too, not least of which Gavin Casas hitting 19 home runs. But Messina's emergence, I thought, really gave that lineup length and made them really, really dangerous. Because coming into the season, it was, okay, we have a pretty good idea of, of what Braylon Wimmer's going to do, and he had a nice year. And, you know, they've got all these transfers, and surely, you know, perhaps, you know, they'll have somebody – a new face pop up and they had that Ethan Petrie obviously had a great year. Mm-hmm. Um, but it felt like Messina was that, that piece that you have to have if you're going to be a team that goes from where South Carolina was in 2022 to where they were in 2023, which is that veteran who's back, who is clearly better. And, and they had a couple of mm-hmm. examples of those guys. I think Talmadge Lecroy is another one, but yeah. <clears throat> Messina ends up having an all American kind of year as, as a catcher, you know, with 18 doubles, 17 home runs, drove in 65, which, which led the team. And I think crucially too, he, when the injury started to pile up a little bit for South Carolina, he was a guy who was able to fill in other places. Like I think he played some third base. Like he, he so he just kind of showed an ability to kind of fill in some gaps when needed. And that was, that was really important at, at a certain point of the season for South Carolina, because the mm-hmm. injuries became so much a part of a part of their story. But um, the, the lineup was made much more dangerous by Cole Messina being, being what he was uh, for the Gamecocks this, this season. Yeah, good call. Uh, Tennessee Volunteers, and they were tied in the standings with Kentucky, but uh, my apologies to Kentucky. We're going to go Tennessee first because they made the College World Series. That was my tiebreaker mm-hmm. there, so that seemed fair. Uh, my thing with Tennessee is that, you know, coming into the season, you and I, and and really, we, I mean, we weren't alone on this, talked a lot about, hey, Blake Burke is going to be the guy this offense mm-hmm. revolves around. You know, he's going to make them go like he's going to have to be the guy, you know, even if he doesn't extrapolate his numbers out from whatever it was last year or 2022, 14 home runs and 80 at bats or 90 at bat, whatever, 100, whatever it was, mm-hmm. um, you know, he's going to have to be the guy. And in some respects, he had a nice year. He hit 16 home runs. Um, but their offense, as, as inconsistent as it was, because I, I want to acknowledge that there were some inconsistencies in their lineup where they just especially on the road would have games where. They just would go quiet, but by and large, their offense ended up being a really solid offense without Blake Burke really being that guy. Um, you know, it was, you could make an argument that Jared Dickey was the guy that made them go, uh, you know, mm-hmm. late in the season, Maui Ahuna came on, you know, he ended up with 20 doubles on the year, you know, Griffin Merritt led the team in home runs. Christian Moore was probably their hottest guy in the postseason. Yep. Um, and then, you know, Blake Burke hit 211 with five home runs in SEC play. You know, so it really wasn't him in the biggest games that was that was making that lineup work. And if you'd have told me before the season, 
that that was going to be the case. I, I thought this, this team might be in a little, little bit of trouble and heck for that matter, just not, not to get a sidetrack, but if you had, you know, if you had told me that and then told me, Oh, by the way, Chase Burns is going to get knocked out of the rotation because he's ineffective. Chase Dolander is going to end up with a 475 ERA and, you know, Andrew Lindsay is going to be the Friday starter. I would have gone, Oh boy, what, what on earth happened? Um, and yet that team got to Omaha and won a game, right? Mm-hmm. So um, impressive stuff, generally speaking. But to me, super, super impressive. This offense was as effective as it was in a season when, you know, Blake Burke hit for some power, but not not really much else. It just wasn't that kind of year for him where he was an all S, like a SEC player of the year type of guy, which I think is what you and I kind of assumed that he was going to be and would need to be for Tennessee to be an Omaha team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Hey everyone, we're going to take a quick break from our discussion to hear a couple ads from our sponsors. How about Captain Crunch's Crunch Berries with breakfast? Whoa, Dad, we're on Crunch Island. <gasps> it's Jean foot. <laughs> and he stole our crunch. Quick, the zip line. He's getting away. Throw our last Crunch Berry. No! No one steals my crunch berries. I think you mean my crunch berries. Choose your own crunch venture with Captain Crunch. For 25 years, nothing has tasted better after a hard day's work than a Mike's Hard Lemonade. It's because since day one, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. We use three kinds of lemons, all handpicked from family farms, then blended to perfection in cold press to create the epic hard lemonade you know and love. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Meet Gail. Her thing is being a supermom, and supermom has a lot on her supersized plate. <laughs> Ain't that the truth. But at Walmart Pharmacy, supermom recently got her whole family updated on all their vaccines. We knocked it out during a grocery run. No appointment. That's Next Level Supermom. From pneumonia to shingles, HPV, and more, get no-cost vaccinations from an expert pharmacist where you already shop. Welcome to an easier pharmacy. Welcome to your Walmart. $0 copay with most insurances. State age and health restrictions may apply. I'm going to go back to the stats pile here uh, with uh, Kirby Cannell appeared in 33 games and threw 15 in the third innings. I mean, that's the perfect, you know, lefty specialist right here. And he was effective in that role. Opponents hit 193 against him. He struck out 17 and walked four in those 15 innings. Just, you don't really see that a lot. Um, you know, at the college game, usually, Hey, if you're you're effective, you continue to to stay in the game and pitch. Um, but that that wasn't the case. One Tennessee just had so much depth in the bullpen that they they had that luxury to to really target where you know with precision. Okay, we want you to face this guy, right? And and they were able to be very very effective doing that. It's just kind of odd, uh, you know. You you I look at a lot of stats, and that that's one that really stands out. 
A great point. I will, because uh, you motivated me to look at his like game by game stuff. Kirby Cannell didn't throw more than two thirds of an inning or hasn't thrown more than two thirds of an inning uh, since March 28th, a <laughs> midweek game against UNC Asheville. <laughs> wow. And then if you go past that, it's it's March 3rd against Gonzaga would have been the, the previous time before that UNC Asheville game. So, yeah. and only three it's times tough. this year, did he throw yeah. it in any or more? Yeah. Um, so yeah, crazy, uh, <laughs> crazy season, but you know, again, you know, they found a role for him, you know, they found mm-hmm. a role. He did it well, you know, the, the numbers are great. So, you know, again, kudos, kudos to them for, for putting those pieces together. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, we're moving on to Kentucky. Uh, Mark, I will let you let you hit lead off on the Wildcats. Yeah. What do you got? It's um, it's Austin Strickland because sort of like what what we talked about with South Carolina with Hicks. I mean, he was a, he was one of the bullpen pieces and one of you know one of the better ones. But then as the bullpen solidified, they were able to, I, I guess, have the luxury of moving him into expanded roles. And, you know, and moved into, quote, long relief for, you know, extended outings. And next thing you know, he's starting the biggest games of the year, okay? He's, he started the, the regular season finale, which, you know, is a, obviously a, a big game for them. And then as they're trying to trying to host a regional, right? And then starts, you know, the third game of the regional and pitches well, pitches so well that they give him the ball in the, you know, the season finale in Baton Rouge with the game, with the season on the line. So this is a, a guy that, you know, a third of the way through the season was was a key piece, but not, you know, nowhere near what he what he became at the end of the year. No, it's, it's a good call. Um and he, you know, he's a guy too that, you know, he he's got real stuff. Like he mm-hmm. he was a guy who, you know, Kentucky had a lot of guys who had a lot of pitchability but there wasn't always a ton of swing and miss for that. But Strickland was a guy who had stuff that could, that could do that. Now his strikeout numbers weren't overwhelmingly good, but he was a guy who had that in his bag uh, and had a little, a little, a little more firmness to his stuff on a staff that didn't always, always have a lot of that. And he's an interesting guy from the draft standpoint. Like, you know, he's obviously I, I just talked about the stuff, but he's a guy who, hasn't really put together a full, like not even close to a full season yeah. as a starter. He started six games in three years for Kentucky. Yeah. Low mileage, you know, <laughs> right. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Low, low, low mileage. Yes, exactly. Uh, high reliability, uh, just like a, like a sedan, mm-hmm. but, but um, you know, so you could see a team kind of falling in love maybe with the, the projectability of, of him, you know, he's, he's also six two two ten, like a, you know, sturdy mm-hmm. build, but also, you know, there's not a lot of proof in the pudding there. So, you know, could he come back as a weekend guy for Kentucky and kind of be the the veteran presence on that rotation yeah. next year? Like maybe, you know, mm-hmm. um, that that's kind of interesting to me. So we'll, we'll have to see come come draft time, which is coming up here in a, in a few days, a little less than a week for the the later rounds. Uh, my storyline also on the mound, uh, Mason Moore and how good yeah. he was down the stretch for them. Um, you know, he was a guy who really. Uh, came up big when, when Kentucky needed it most. Um, 14 and a third scoreless innings in the NCAA tournament. That's three three outings there. Um, he allowed two runs in his final 28 innings of the season. Good gracious. And so, which is, I mean, and he ended the season with a 180 ERA, but 
I don't, I'm not a math major, but two runs in 28 innings means that number came way down right. <laughs> later, right. later in the season. So um, just a impressive, like just became a shutdown guy. And intriguingly, as, as the season really got to the end of it in the NCAA tournament, he was a guy who was throwing four or five innings at a time. And it, yeah. it does make for an interesting thing to look forward to, which is do they use as, as a sophomore, Mason Moore's coming back. Uh-huh. Do do they use him in this role again? Because that's valuable. I mean, there's a lot of value in that. Uh-huh. Or do you put him in the rotation? And and again, a guy with real stuff. Like he's in there, you know, pumping low 90s, touching mid 90s, and um, you know, swing and miss secondary pitches. Um, that, that's going to be a a, a tough. I mean, yeah. is he is he this is he 2024 Darren Williams right uh, for Kentucky? Right. Like, is that yeah, is that his I, I role? Think- yeah, I think ideally you use him like like that. You stretch him out, and you know if you don't have the opportunity to to start to to close him on Friday or Saturday, then hell, he might start, you know, game three, or or come in really early after an opener or something like that. You know, maybe a or you know you could have him as as a piggyback option. You know, like Arkansas did so successfully this year. You know, it just depends on all those pieces around you and you have a guy like that, you know, a lot of times their role will be dependent on, you know, the, who steps up and and who's healthy and all those kinds of things. Yeah. A couple of intriguing things in the mound. I mean, this is not a Kentucky 2024 preview episode, but you know, Travis Smith is back. He's the best prospect Mm -hmm. on the team from pitching standpoint. Um, Mason Moore, we just talked about Strickland, like mm-hmm. some pretty intriguing options there for them to have a, a pretty doggone good rotation. If they, if they run it out that way, I'm sure other options will, will emerge as time goes on. Okay. Uh, moving on to Georgia, I will hit lead off on this one. And folks, if you, if you had the over on 1.5 Dalton Radans references in this episode, <laughs> you, that is cashed uh, because my, my <laughs> overlooked thing is that like Dalton Radans did it again. Look, the, the numbers aren't, great i mean the era in sec play is i think 585 but we do understand that it feels like in sec play you can just shave a run off of everybody's era to get a better idea of how good they actually were because the eras were just in the stratosphere by and large this season but he the bigger point here is that he became george's arguably the go-to reliever for them and some of that was due to injuries but some of it is just that like the dude just kind of battles and figures out how to get outs. And I, I think you and I, yeah, I think you and I shared the the notion that, okay, you know, the low slot 80 mile an hour fastball with like the 60 some odd mile an hour Frisbee slider is effective and kind of cool at Wofford. Right. Mm -hmm. But you're going to go into the sec and people are going to laugh at that and hit it out of the park. Mm -hmm. And that didn't really happen. Like he was, you know, again, no one sees it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you know, it's he was such a <laughs> unique look. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So you know, I I thought it was neat that hey he he showed if nothing else. I mean, look again, the numbers were what they were, but he showed that you know yeah, v- velocity is the thing, and that's always going to be the case. And there's a but you know some of that some of that funk can really work to your point when when you don't see it anywhere else, and, and mm-hmm. when you've got a, a track record of success like he has. And so I thought it was just, I thought it was just cool that he ended up being such an important piece when I, I just didn't think, I thought he would be a guy, Hey, let's use him in midweek games to eat a bunch of innings. And because we know he can, we know he can get outs against Kennesaw state and Georgia state and whoever mm-hmm. else. Um, but to, to, to be able to be an important guy in the bullpen in sec play 
was I thought was was pretty cool. So, yeah. uh, Mark, what do you got? I'm going to go with Will David. You know, he was a career infielder uh, at Samford. And guess where he played down the stretch for Georgia? He was their catcher. He had not caught since his freshman year of, of college. And even that was, you know, just you know, kind of mop up stuff, you know. And because of injury, he finds himself, yeah, hey, coach, I can catch. And and so he did. I mean, he really, really did a serviceable job down the stretch. Um, just kind of one of those uh, program guys who so valuable because they'll do whatever, whatever you need them to do. And, you know, he's, he was a portal guy, you know, and, and came in and, and really filled a need for, for Georgia um, and, and hit okay too. Right? You know, he hit 261, um, but, you know, but, but he had some clutch hits during the course of the year and was, was really a, you know, one of, one of these guys uh, who showed up and was able to, to provide immediate uh, benefit for your team uh, in, in a role that really you didn't expect him to, you thought he was going to, you know, split time in the infield and be a depth piece. But instead, I mean, man, he was your starting catcher at the, the last, you know, three weeks of the year. It's a great call. And I think you could even <clears throat> enter into this discussion, Fernando Gonzalez and how he ended up having to be until he was injured late in the season, he ended up kind of having to be an iron man for this team yeah. because Corey Collins was injured. And so they were already thin at catcher and Fernando right. Gonzalez was just back there for basically every inning. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were catcher, a, a particularly interesting position for Georgia for better or worse <laughs> during the, during the 2023 season. Okay. Uh, last team here is Missouri. Um, and I think I'll, I will just say quickly, we've talked about it before, but one of the, I think overlooked things is that without the injuries, this is probably a regional team. Yeah. Yeah, I think that seems pretty clear to me <laughs> just because, I mean, they were so ravaged by injuries and the pitching injuries is where we go, but they also on the position player side weren't, you know, weren't doing great in that regard either. So that should right. be set up top. I think that's kind of an over overlooked thing, but my, my actual one here is the year that Hank Zeisler had a, a guy who just mm-hmm. continues to hit, you know, he, he started his career at division three Chapman out in, in, in uh, California. And then he goes to UNLV and just kind of keeps hitting I think two years in a row. He had big summers in the Northwoods. I think it was, right. um, but then he goes to Missouri and we kind of knew what Luke Mann was going to be or hoped he would be. And he was, and okay. Trevor Austin's a nice player, but you know, Zeisler was, was as consistent as anybody outside of those couple of guys. He ends up with 15 home runs on the season. He ends up walking about as much as, as he struck out, which on a Missouri team that didn't have a lot of that, you know, he, he was one of the guys that could kind of provide that Um, just, you know, he, for a guy who, you know, wouldn't look like it. I mean, he's, you know, five ten, listed about two twenty. Like he's not a guy you you would think would do a lot on the bases, but was actually a pretty, pretty decent base runner too. So brought a lot to the table, um, a big time hit in the transfer portal for, for Missouri and and a guy who gave the lineup real, real length. Mark, Mm -hmm. what do you got? I'm going to go with Chandler Murphy um, in a year where Missouri had so many injuries on the mound. He, he took the ball every weekend. He was the only one of the few starters um, in, in the SEC who took the ball every weekend and certainly the only one for Missouri. Um, so to have that sort of consistency and, you know, you had to pitch in different roles and uh, so sometimes it was Friday, sometimes it's, you know, it's Sunday. He even, he, he fought with some injury things as well. Um, you know, when you, of course, 
you play in the SEC, you have a lot of Thursday games too. So you're coming back on short rest and all that sort of stuff. And he was able to battle through it. You know, he's a guy who, who we all believed in, I believe, but he had just not done it. And, and to come into, come into the SEC and take the ball as the ace and you're matching up with, you know, some of the best pitchers in the country and keeping Missouri in the game. Um, I, I felt like, you know, he's a guy that, that we probably could have talked a little bit more about for, for what he did for that team. And it, I think that's a great illustration of, of where they were too, is that he ended up becoming the de facto Friday guy. And that's where he started the season. But mm-hmm. I think with the way Tony Newbeck was pitching early in the year, that he would actually have ended up being the Friday guy. So you're in pretty, if it, now Tony Newbeck would not have continued to be like super lights out as he went through sec play, but I think he was the best arm they had. And, Mm-hmm. So if he's throwing on Friday, Chandler Murphy's throwing on, on Saturday. And then, you know, even with the injuries on Sunday, you're, you know, you, yeah. you've got some decent options there. So um, that that's kind of illustrative of, of where I think that team would have been a lot better without some of the injuries, but injuries happen. It's part of the game. Just ask, well, Georgia, we just talked about mm-hmm. that uh, or just ask any team in the sec this season. It felt like the, the injury bug bit extra hard uh, and repeatedly, this season. So Missouri, not alone, but it, it, when you're a program like Missouri, that is, is just climbing uphill so much, it is particularly painful when you have a year like this, where there was, there was promise. And then it just kind of got undone by things, you know, mostly beyond the team's control. So that's, that's never what you want. So no margin for error there. Right. Precisely. That is going to wrap up the sec East overlook storylines. Mark and I will be back next week with the sec West overlooked storylines where we will uh, try to come up with something about LSU that we didn't, that <laughs> hadn't we didn't already, already yeah, hadn't, hadn't already talked about a ton. I'm sure, you know, it was a similar challenge with Florida. So I'm sure we will, I joke, but we will find, find something there. That's the point of this exercise. So looking forward to bringing you uh, that and more on every sec West team at around this time next week. Um, until then, thank you, Mark, for joining me. Thanks to Brock's gap brewing company, for sponsoring this and every uh, Highway to Hoover podcast. And thank you for listening. We'll talk to you all soon. The Highway to Hoover podcast is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts. For 25 years, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. Meet Gail. Her thing is being a supermom. And supermom has a lot on her supersized plate. (laughs) Ain't that the truth. But at Walmart Pharmacy, supermom recently got her whole family updated on all their vaccines. We knocked it out during a grocery run. No appointment. That's next level supermom. From pneumonia to shingles, HPV, and more, get no-cost vaccinations from an expert pharmacist where you already shop. Welcome to an easier pharmacy. Welcome to your Walmart. $0 copay with most insurances. State age and health restrictions may apply.